0: Hello, and welcome to episode 178 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with – Jason Rabinowitz. What's going on, Ian? Hello, Jason. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. I'm back. How was your week off? Good. You found me. I did. Where did you find me? We can't tell anyone. Oh, in an alley somewhere behind a dumpster. It happens. To clarify, (laughs) you were somewhere on vacation. I was here at home – doing nothing on Wednesday afternoon saying, what what am I going to do without a podcast recording? But you actually like went into the woods and stuff.
0: Well, I went into the beach. I went into the woods. We took the kids up to Michigan for a little bit before school started and enjoyed ourselves for a few days. And now they're back in school. We are back at the microphone, and it is podcast time, my friend. We've got a very good show this week. We had our Chief Short Answer Correspondent, Ned Russell on very, very briefly last week to discuss the news about American Airlines. and Boom, this week, we've got Brett Schneider on in a little bit to talk more in depth about the order, about some analysis that he's done,
1: because why not? Yeah, we're going to elaborate a little bit from Ned's yeah. comment the week prior.
0: Yeah, just a little bit though. So Brad will be on a little bit later in the show, but we've got two weeks worth of news to get through. Not a whole lot happened last week, thankfully. I was able to to actually enjoy a little bit of my vacation, but this week we dive back in with some, I guess, regional news. And we've got the first bit is that Air Wisconsin is switching their capacity, basically. Air Wisconsin is currently one of the regional carriers for United Airlines. and Beginning no later than March, so by March, it will switch from flying for United to flying for American Airlines, up to 60 of their – and this is the part that pains me. Up to 60 CRJ 200s.
1: Yeah. and Where will those be based? Is it one of your home airports?
0: Oh, it is my home of home airports. They'll be based at O'Hare, just south of
1: Wisconsin, which I guess is appropriate. Maybe they will even fly to Wisconsin on that needless Chicago to Milwaukee route. Does American operate that, or is that only United?
0: You know what? I don't know if both operate them, though. I assume at this point they probably operate at least one per day, just for for feeding.
1: Oh, American does. Yep, American operates it. So you'll still have a chance to fly Air Milwaukee to Milwaukee, Air Wisconsin <laughs> to Milwaukee, Air Wisconsin Sorry. to
0: Milwaukee. So they ramp up beginning in March through the end of the summer season, and then there's a possibility that they'll go from forty to sixty and the CRJ 200s. And as part of that, Air Wisconsin will end its agreement with United. United has been a purchaser of Air Wisconsin's capacity for a very long time. At one point, I'm pretty sure they even had a stake in the airline that they had long since left in the great disbanding of, of regional carriers a few years ago. But they're moving wholly over to American and that will be that as far as the, the CRJ 200 goes for United. It's an interesting move because it's a lot of aircraft all at once, basically leaving out a, of the domestic fleet. But United has said that it wants to refocus on increasing their mainline flying. So this all works out. In the end, I'm sure it'll all work out. But in that mid period, it'll be interesting to see how they fill those holes.
1: Well, good riddance, because as someone who somewhat frequently ended up on an Air Wisconsin CRJ-200 out of LaGuardia on one of the few United flights, uh, I could not be any happier that that will not happen again, even though United has shifted most of its regional operations at LaGuardia to the E-175 family or even the the CRJ-550, which, as we know, is a uh, 70-seat aircraft with only 50 seats on board. So that's a much better deal for me in this transfer. So all in all, the only thing that matters is that Jason benefits. I come from. out looking great in this situation. However, there's the whole situation about the pilots and the the pilot flow and the Aviate Academy. It's uh, – at the end, yeah, American gets some crappy planes that nobody really wants, but they get the pilots and they get the – I guess whoever was in – Pilot School or AVH or whatever we want to call it, but the American stands to gain and just having a, an inflow of pilots that would have in the past gone to United now would end up at american It's the
0: story of any acquisition these days. I mean, whether we're talking about JetBlue and Spirit or, or any of the kind of the regional moves, everything has been done. It's either acquiring pilots somehow aircraft and pilots somehow or. Making sure that you're retaining them. And that kind of brings us into our next story, which is talking about Commute Air being the next regional airline to give their pilots a healthy raise. Well, that's good news. Everyone loves a yeah. healthy raise. So, Commute Air is a regional carrier that is partially owned by and flies for United. This follows the, we're flipping back and forth between United and American regional carriers so much. I'm making sure I'm getting this right today. Three regional carriers owned by American Airlines got pay increases earlier this summer or announced pay increases earlier this summer. Commute Airs operating for United, they're getting theirs now. They're going up from, they are hiking their first officer's pay from $51 per hour, starting first officer's, $51 per hour to $72 per hour starting pay for captains will go from $84 per hour to $100 per hour. So not bad at all. In addition, they're getting bonuses. Annual retention bonuses will be paid to first officers, $25,000 annual retention bonus to first officers, and a $50,000 retention bonus to the captains. So I mean, all in all, great increase in pay. One of the criticisms of the increase in pay to the airlines owned by American Airlines the pilots operating for airlines owned by American Airlines was that it was a larger bump but it wasn't going to last very long. In this case this is for the entirety of the contract so this pay will be locked in no no 20, on this one. Yeah, through this one's through 2026. So it'll be interesting to see if this is the the last of the pay raises for regional pilots that we see. My thinking is probably not though it'll be interesting to see where, where the next one comes from.
1: Yeah. It certainly won't be coming from anyone who works for ExpressJet. Ouch. Yeah. You might remember a few months ago, ExpressJet, they were jettisoned from their mainline partners. Uh, who were they operating for? United at the time, United. I think? United. Yep, United. So here we go. United again, jettisoned a regional partner in this case, ExpressJet, I think back in 2020. And then they pivoted and they started up, aha, And AHA was never really quite a well-thought-out or successfully launched concept. They were supposed to be this whole encompassing travel booking service where You booked – I think it was you booked your flight, your hotel, and your adventure or whatever. Aha stood for airline hotel adventure. There you go. It's right there in the name. They only ever got the airline part down there. It turns out no hotel wanted or needed to partner with them. If if you land without a hotel, that's kind of an adventure. That is an adventure. But hotels these days are so fully booked, they don't need something like an Aha operating from Reno to – wherever AHA operated to and they racked up quite a hefty bit of debt. I think you ran the numbers earlier. I did not. I think that was Ned Russell did.
0: Yeah, it was Ned Russell taking a look at uh, Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren and Ned Russell took a crack at the numbers and we were talking that before we recorded. so We'll mention that they did the legwork, but the numbers were dismal, awful, terrible, not good.
1: No. I'm trying to scroll back in our conversation to see exactly where – there we go. 5.5 million in revenues year to date in 2022 compared against $23 million in expenses. So Their expenses more than 4X outweighed their revenue, which is not good. It sucks to see that this is the end again to ExpressJet. They've gone through several ends. But at this point, it looks like they are going, they file for chapter 11 and they will liquidate this time. They will not pivot to do something else. They're going to liquidate. And it's the end of a, I'm not going to say historic regional airline, but they've been around a while. And it sucks anytime an airline goes out of business like this because people lose their jobs and their livelihood. And in this backwards country, they'll lose their healthcare and all that good stuff. It's unfortunate, but I don't think this is anything that we didn't see coming, unfortunately.
0: The concept I think was flawed generally but given everything else that's happening right now it kind of came together to force their hand whether or not operating a small regional jet operation out of Reno as a hub trying to get people to bring you know skis and boots and everything like that and deal with the aspect of getting hotels to work with you and that wasn't going to happen at the moment and trying to be this adventure carrier. There maybe is a place for that somewhere, but
1: I don't think it's right now. Especially not if they didn't have the concept fully baked and couldn't actually deliver on the hotel or adventure. Right, right, right. right. If, if it had been locked area. in
0: already, maybe we're talking about a different outcome. But to try and launch this, yeah, I, I don't
1: I – don't They think are that. liquidating those E-145s. Will probably end up in the desert. I can't imagine there are that many airlines out there actively seeking E-145s, but somebody might take them. Who knows? Yeah. I, I... and We learned that they, they said in their uh, release that they actually operated flights for JetBlue way back in the day. Apparently, when their E-190s were in for modification, I did not know that. Today, I learned. Today, I also learned. That's
0: some good
1: airline trivia. Yeah. Let's shift our focus, keeping it
0: with things that are not great But things that are maybe getting better with this newly announced scheme by uh, Schiphol Airport to reimburse some of the costs, basically uh, entering an EU 261 styled scheme for the airport induced costs that passengers endured.
1: Yeah, this is. A real unexpected and weird one. So we all know and love EU 261, which is the the rule, regulation, whatever in the EU, that if your flight is canceled, diverted, significantly delayed, you get accommodations, you get possibly some very hefty monetary reward in your favor. They will cover things like hotels and meals. Of course, we don't have anything like that in the US, but nothing like that exists for what happens if the airport goes wrong? All of those rules are in place for what happens if the the airline screws up. In this case, Schiphol in Amsterdam has done an odd move here where if you had a flight between April 23rd and August 11th, so sorry if your flight was delayed because of Amsterdam's operations on August 12th, you're, you're just out of luck. But between those dates, they will compensate for things that would typically be compensated under EU 261, so compensation costs incurred for rebooking a flight if you booked a replacement flight, alternative transport if you chose to travel to a destination by other means, so if you said, screw it, I'm not going to fly, I'm going to take a train, extra travel costs incurred to travel to Amsterdam or another airport, accommodation costs at or near the airport, expenses for non non-cancelable accommodation, transport, or activities at the destination, So, If you were on a seven-hour long security line, hypothetically in Amsterdam, and you missed your flight to, let's say, Birmingham, and you had a non-cancelable hotel and, I don't know, tour of Birmingham or whatever, and you ate that cost, Amsterdam, it seems like they will cover that cost, at least to some degree, which is really above and beyond unexpected. I've never heard of an airline doing, not sorry, I said instinctively airline, but I've never heard of an airport doing something like this before.
0: Yeah. I I can't think of any organized scheme
1: like this. Maybe it's happened in the past where like, oh crap, you got stuck in the elevator. We'll take care of you. I know that's (laughs) happened in the past, but like we're talking about potentially millions of people impacted here. Possibly a lot of money you have until September 30th to submit a request. If you flew between April 23rd and August 11th, you have until September 30th to submit a request. Bring receipts. Lots and lots and lots of receipts. Yes. Let's shift our attention
0: now to something that we talked about a few weeks ago, which was the announcement that Wiz Air Abu Dhabi was going to restart flights to Russia. And we talked about the criticism. That the airline had endured at the time, basically a lot of criticism towards the airline saying you shouldn't be doing this. The airline said, "Well, we're based in Abu Dhabi. There are no legal restrictions on this. This is, you know, this isn't Wizz Air. This is Wizz Air Abu Dhabi." And a lot of the criticism was, "What difference does that make? It's a legal distinction without a difference." Now. They are announcing they will, in fact, not restart service, though they are not saying it's because of the criticism. They are saying it's because of industry supply chain limitations.
1: You know, with Abu Dhabi, there's a legal distinction, they would like to remind you of that. They could have taken the win here and just said, okay, we heard you, we're not going to do it. But To do this crap and call it industry supply chain limitations, it just removed any possible goodwill from this decision. so Not only are they not going to operate the flights, and they're not going to find this windfall of profit that I'm sure exists on the route, they're not even going to get the goodwill associated with doing the right thing. That's just what's going on there. That's called shooting yourself in the foot. It is. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of money to be made on that route, but doing the right thing and then blaming it on the wrong thing is just just a bad move.
0: Yeah. I, I'm sure there are indeed industry supply chain limitations somewhere, but that's not what's going on here. Oh. Nope. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with Brett Schneider from Cranky Flyer and we will talk about Ameriboom and what's going on with that. So stay with us. We will be back in just a second. Welcome back. We are now joined by Brett Schneider from crankyflyer.com. He is the gentleman who has most recently taken. A magnifying glass to some announcements regarding Boom's supersonic aircraft, and we, of course, refer to the American Airlines non-refundable deposit. So we're here to break down what American did beyond the comments last week from our chief short answer correspondent, Ned Russell, who, who so eloquently summed things up. But we're going to expand on that this week with Brett and talk about Brett's analysis of where American could actually use the planes, assuming they enter service. Anywhere near when they are currently scheduled to to enter service? So, Brett, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. And calling me a
2: gentleman, this is very fancy. I got to get First my top time for hat for everything, right? That's right. I'm gonna top <laughs> hat and a monocle now. I'm Being a little generous, this.
0: yeah, yeah. That's how we traditionally record the podcast, wearing top hats. That's why we're not a video podcast because we can't fit the hats in the video. Frame.
2: Well, you need to go vertical. I know it's not what you do, but you know, then you can really. Get it in there, it'll work. TikTok, here we come. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, American and Boom together announced the American Airlines agreement to purchase up to 20, which I thought was an interesting way to phrase things, up to 20 with an option for an additional 40. So, it's not even an order for 20 aircraft, it's an order for up to 20 aircraft. And they paid, and this was the important part, they put money down. They paid a non-refundable deposit on the initial 20 aircraft.
1: We don't know what that deposit is, but right. some could sort be a of dollar. Money. It could be a penny for all we know. We truly do not know. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's like a loony. Like it's just like a Canadian
0: <laughs> dollar. <laughs> they just Could have been a Toonie. Whoa, 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 that's big money there. Hold on. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I know, yeah. right? So, one of the things that I think it was Ethan Clapper mentioned that one of the American Airlines, it could have been Derek Kerr, the, the CFO, mentioned that this would not trigger a filing with the SEC as a material event. So, I guess that sets the bar pretty low for how much money exchanged hands. Not okay. A lot. <laughs> yeah, not, not a it. lot. Not a lot. So let's talk about the order, which is – it's a lot of aircraft.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's no coincidence that the 60 airplanes they could take matches the number that Air Wisconsin will be flying for Americans. So clearly, this is a replacement plan for the Air Wisconsin CRJ fleet. Breaking That news. checks out. Yeah. That all checks out. <laughs>
0: I think we got it. Oh, we figured it out. There it is. So let's take this order at face value. They've got 20 aircraft scheduled for delivery. That is compared to United's 15. United took an option for 35 more. American took an option for an additional 40. So that's 10 more aircraft. Brett, your analysis took all of this at face value and basically came to the conclusion that it's too many aircraft? Well,
2: sure. I mean, there's not an aircraft, so we don't
0: really know what we're talking about yet, but we're talking all in grand hypotheticals. Yes, if only because they put some money down, and if they're putting money down, surely if we're taking them at face value, they believe in the aircraft. And this is not to say that we should take any of this at face value, but we've had that conversation multiple times on the podcast before. Yeah, but let's say we are taking it at face value.
2: Yes, let's do that. And also taking it at face value, we then have to also say. The range estimates and the passenger loads, like we have to take those as well, right? So, generally, aircraft manufacturers will lie about their range. That's any airplane because that's in like perfect conditions and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, when I looked at it, I lopped off 10%, which may not have been enough, but that was kind of my starting point of just saying, where could this airplane fly without being force to refuel midair or land in the ocean.
0: (laughs) Okay. So the stated range of the aircraft at the moment is 65 to 80 passengers at Mach 1.7 flying 4,250 nautical miles.
1: Yeah. Keeping in mind, they don't have an engine even designed, let alone actually in testing it. So all of these hypotheticals about range, they're very hypothetical.
2: Oh, yeah. But we're suspending disbelief today, right? Right, right, right. right. That's the title of this episode. (laughs) Suspending disbelief. Perfect. Why not? Yeah. So if you do that, I mean, you don't even have to give it a haircut. You could even say like, all right, the number they're saying is real. It doesn't add that much in terms of what they could reach. But the other problem, of course, is right in the name of the company.
0: (laughs) It's the sonic boom. I still appreciate the fact that they named the company
1: after the thing that will probably doom the company. Their biggest problem is right yeah. there in the name. And they have stated as such that this aircraft, the Overture, it is not – something designed to overcome the sonic boom. That is not a goal of this aircraft. So there's been some confusion of that. No, this aircraft still will not be able to travel at supersonic speeds over populated areas. So forget that outright. Right. Now,
2: also though, I think we need to appreciate the name even more because forgetting about the sonic boom, what is the last thing that you want to have your airplane associated with? Some sort of boom. Like, that's not how you want your flight to A boom of any kind, really. It's not good. It's not great. But yeah, so they've really owned that apparently. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the important piece. Like You can't fly over populated areas, at least not in countries that care about their populations.
0: So that severely limits where you could use this thing. And then let's talk about the ocean. The Atlantic Ocean is not as wide as the Pacific Ocean. Which happens to be wide enough to severely limit where you can use this aircraft at this range, especially focusing on American's route network. I mean, I don't know that it's even
2: especially American's route network. It's anyone's route network at that range. I think Seattle-Tokyo was – What was it? It was like just under 4,200. So In theory, that Could potentially make it, but come on, you never get that close to the range, even if the manufacturer has an airplane with an engine that reaches that stated range. So, you know, I think your only real choices on the Pacific are, you know, find a way to build a hub in Anchorage or take all the Japanese tourists to Hawaii. And I did think that was really interesting that American put in the press release that It could reduce the time on LA Honolulu to three hours.
1: I like your analysis on that bit. So what? Who cares?
2: Right. That's the problem with it. Like, who cares? I mean, the beauty of Concord was that you could leave London, get to New York in the morning and have a full day of work. It added a tremendous amount of value for people where time is money. And you could really do something with that. And you could also be in London for dinner from New York if you needed to. I mean, it created really big differences. But three hours versus five and a half hours from LA to Honolulu, nobody cares. That doesn't make a difference.
1: So let's break that down a little bit. So, in the admittedly not very long press release issued by American, they said American has identified how many routes that they think they could put this on in its network. What was the number? 600 or something. Yeah. Well,. So, I mean, so
0: that's Boom's number. Boom's that's number that's is Boom's 600. Boom's
1: number. Okay. But it is still yeah. an American's release. I'm pretty sure Boom wrote that release. Yeah. You're probably not wrong about that. But there are a few routes that they call out specifically. One you mentioned already, LA to Honolulu in three hours. Who cares? There was another interesting one, Miami to London, which you think is actually one of the more plausible, but still not very realistic ones. Why is that?
2: Well, I do think it has some opportunity. I mean, these are still, you know, People think of Florida as the vacation town, which it is, and all that. But that's more, you know, BA flying their big old airplanes into Orlando or something. I mean, Miami does have a business community that's the self described capital of Latin America. There probably is some value there. And of course, London, you know, maybe diminished now that it's left the EU, but still an important financial capital. So, you know, I, I could see that as being a route where it might work. But Okay, that's maybe two thirds of an airplane.
1: What else you got? Yeah, and that's, I think, what's most confusing about this is taking 20 plus an additional 40 when, by the way, they only ever built 20 Concorde at all, outright, and six of those weren't even commercial aircraft, I believe, at least according to Wikipedia. So this is Americans' fleet alone will triple the size of the Concorde fleet ever was, and they certainly didn't identify a ton of successful routes for that aircraft. It's basically a a shuttle bus between New York, London and Paris. So I don't understand where they think they're going to end up operating 20, maybe 60 aircraft, especially since they can't even do it over the US, the continent itself, they would have to fly subsonic and that can't possibly be economical.
2: Oh, no, no. And I, I can't imagine that it would have much range for that either. You know, that has to just suck up the fuel anyway to be flying it Suboptimally sustainable fuel. It. Well, you know, Braniff can come back and operate the interchange from Washington and New York down to Dallas. I think that's what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> hmm. Seems as oh, possible as anything else. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, here's the thing that seems at this point as likely to happen as any of this. So, what is the draw here? Is this just a I want PR? And this is a cheap and easy way to get it. Is this American going, I don't want United to have all of the supersonic thunder? This announcement doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in writ large. It's a me too.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like when United copies Delta's sky miles changes. No, I think look, I think we're probably overthinking this. My guess is that Boom desperately wants to keep momentum wants to have positive press, wants to have something it can talk about. So it approached American and said, hey, give me a loonie or a toonie, and we can say you give us an unrefundable deposit. And American thinks, well, okay. I mean, if they do magically come up with something that meets these requirements and has good fuel efficiency and all that kind of stuff, then great. We'll be first in line. But if not,
1: oh, well. What does that mean? Well, that's also another point. Same as United with all of its other eVTOL and whatever orders. They specifically say an American boom must meet industry standard operating performance and safety requirements, as well as American's other customary conditions before delivery of any overtures. So again, this order has a huge caveat as they can basically say, well, you didn't meet these standards, performance, metrics, safety requirements, whatever, and then back out of the deal, they lose their non-refundable loony. but that's probably not the end of the world.
2: Yeah. I mean, we don't know what they put down, but we have to assume it's not a lot because the value for boom is not the money. Like Boom somehow seems to raise a fair bit of money, but the value for boom is having that order, and then they can go out and raise more money on that, right? I mean, hey, look, we have all this viable commercial action here. Right. Give us more money. And we'll see. But I, I still – I mean, I'm amazed that they think they can have this flying by 2029. Just – I mean, look at how hard Boeing has trying to certify an airplane and Boom's never done it before.
0: Yeah. I think that's the huge question. And like we talked about after Fumbra, Northrop's involvement in the process becomes much more interesting in that
1: regard. I don't think that's the biggest question, though. The biggest question that everyone, including the three of us, want to know is why is there not a rendering in American livery of an Overture aircraft? (laughs) That's the real question. United could not be plastering its rendering with its livery in any more channels. It's in all the airports, the IFE screens, their app. It's everywhere. American didn't even get a rendering with its livery. Why do you think that is, Brett?
2: Well, I mean, (laughs) Boom has standards. Jason, this is,
1: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> You're not going to just let anyone
2: put that ugly flag on the tail. I had to set you up for that one. <laughs> it was just served to me on a platter. Yeah, no, that's obviously it. Or maybe they couldn't get the paint colors right in the image that it was, you know, very demanding issue
1: to get that right. Gray. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't follow. Brett on Twitter. He is very anti-relatively new American livery. I find it quite nice. I like it. He thinks it's the worst thing in the world. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if it's well, the worst thing in the you're, world. You're not too hot on the Southwest hot dog
2: on a stick livery, so. No, you know I- – this is a whole different podcast. We can get into this.
0: stuff. <laughs> we, I'm okay. okay with yeah, it. We'll come back to we'll come back to that episode My another time. We'll, we'll have to, to stop. All right, never mind. <laughs> it's
2: the tail. <but> the <laughs> the tail doesn't look right to me. It needs a,
0: It's fine though. You know where we can talk about the problems with the Southwest livery, the problems with the American livery and all that good fun stuff, we can talk about it at Dorkfest, which is coming up in less than a month. It is. Brett is also, and has been on the podcast before to talk about this, is also the creator-organizer-ish these days. It feels kind of of a self-fulfilling gathering. Somewhat. But on the 17th of September, as is customary, a Saturday in September when I believe it's UCLA is not playing at home.
2: Oh, no, they are. But they decided to put some hot garbage, like South Alabama and some other teams that I was like, it's not worth it. But normally, (laughs) that is how I approach this. (laughs) Yes.
0: So, the 17th of September, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. is the scheduled, and I'm using quotes here, scheduled time for this. Though, show up whenever, stay till whenever, talk with Folks who are obsessed with airplanes or who just kind of like airplanes and are obsessed with hamburgers that are served near airplanes at LAX. Jason and I have been going for I don't know how many years now, and it's something that we look forward to every year. And Brett puts on a fantastic event, co kind of located with NYC Aviation Spot LAX. So there's events all weekend, but Dorkfest is the original kind of crowning jewel of the weekend. The The crowning crowning jewel jewel. of the weekend. And there will be this year prizes and raffles and things of that nature. Again, we'll of course be contributing some subscriptions to that event as well. So be on the lookout for that. And you do need to be present to win if I'm not incorrect, but you are correct. So if you haven't made your travel plans and you want to go do so soon. Yeah, you should. Less than a month away. It is. It's coming quick. And yeah,
2: Ian, I mean, you are the one who makes this work here. You you (laughs) go up with that
0: hat on. And I'm just loud with a bright hat.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. It's what we need. But so, you know, we can tie this all together here, though, because last year, I think one of the stars of
1: the show was a United Boom model that United gave away. That's right. That's right. Maybe this is the first time we'll be able to see an American livery on a Boom aircraft. They want to give one of those away this year.
2: I don't know. You know what? I actually don't know what those guys are doing yet. This has become a thing for the airlines to like try and outdo each other. And come up with like what's I the, say that's fantastic. I agree because I'm like, great, give me weird <laughs> stuff that you can't get elsewhere. I love it. I mean, Southwest had that 727 last year. Oh my God.
0: Oh, that was great. So awesome. That was, a, that yeah. was just fantastic.
2: And in the boom, like those kind of things, I love it. So, I mean, I know a couple of things that are definitely unique that are coming, but we'll see what the other guys do. I haven't really gotten all the answers. I've just heard they're saying, like, oh, we're coming up with some ideas. So should be fun. But yeah, come on out, get a burger, watch airplanes. The weather's always good.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brett Schneider from Cranky Flyer. And we'll put a link to your analysis, your full analysis of the American Boom order in the show notes so people can go and read that. And hopefully some listeners will be at Dorkfest this year. So we'll, we'll see you there. Welcome back. I think that we're all in agreement that none of this matters at this point.
1: No, I don't have a crystal ball or a time machine, but I I do wish I could fly forward a few years to see what happens here without having to wait. Exactly. Let's go to
0: a very different aircraft, one that is decidedly not supersonic, one that has real engines, but has some problems. This one's a weird story. Jason, help me
1: out here. Yeah, this one comes to us from Schloppig at One Mile at Eight Time, who has an interesting tale about a particular Delta Boeing 767-300ER that had some trouble recently. A couple of back-to-back flights, they had in-air diversions back to JFK with some, one of them was a fuel issue, I think, and the other one was, I'm not sure what it was, but they had a couple of annoying diversions back to JFK where they went two hours out and returned ends up being a five-hour flight to nowhere, which is not great. The second one of these flights was en route to Accra-Ghana, one of Delta's flights that actually was never suspended during COVID. So This one is a very popular flight for Delta, but the Ghana authorities didn't quite like that this aircraft had multiple in-air diversions and then took an unexplained delay the following day of a couple hours. No big deal. It was a couple hours. Happens kind of all the time to every airline to every flight at this point at JFK but they apparently didn't like Delta's explanation or they didn't like this aircraft enough to the point where they have I'm not going to say ban but they have asked Delta firmly to not send this one particular aircraft November 195 Delta November on the flights to Accra again so they said you can still operate to Ghana but please do not send this particular Aircraft. Send us a different plane. Yeah. I would hate to say what they would have thought about the later days of Americans seven six seven three hundreds, which were just awful, awfully unreliable towards the end of their reign of terror.
0: They had a dispatch reliability of a cranky mule.
1: Yeah. They were not good. It was not Rare to see multiple diversions back to their origin on the same day of those aircraft. So um, they would have probably banned the entire fleet, not just this one aircraft. But interestingly, after the couple of diversions here, this particular aircraft has been operating on time back and forth between JFK and LAX. I think it goes out to Europe again in a couple of days, but it's operating fine. They just didn't want this particular aircraft back. And you know what? That's up to them. If the if the Ghana Civil Aviation Authority doesn't trust this particular aircraft, I'm sure Delta will work around it. Yeah. It'll be fine. But <laughs> just an odd thing to politely request yeah. that they said. I hope we don't get to the point where Delta 767s get the reputation and operational dispatch reliability of what did you call it again? A cranky mule. A cranky mule that was synonymous yeah. with Americans seven six seven operations. But hopefully Delta can can avoid Such a uh, reputation.
0: In an effort to avoid any reputation of their long haul fleet, Malaysia Airlines
1: is after the A330 Neo. Jason, tell me more. Okay. Malaysia has a bunch of A330 CEOs and they are now acquiring 20 A330 Neos, the 900 variant. 10 will be purchased directly from Airbus and 10 will be leased from Dublin based Avalon. And I think that replaces 21 A330 CEOs. So There's one missing there, which is a bit interesting. But this was a long rumored order finally put in stone, at least maybe not set in stone. I think this was an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding. So not quite a firm order, but one step shy of that. But good news for Malaysia Airlines signing up for the A330neo to replace its CEO fleet. Nice, easy transition.
0: Yeah, Yeah, not much to do there to get them into service. A few quick things as we get towards the end of the show. An Alaska Airlines flight out of Seattle had to go back to Seattle earlier
1: last- Yesterday? Yesterday Tuesday. Yes, what, Tuesday. Well, I, I don't know what day. Earlier I, this
0: we week. Earlier this week is the phrase that I was looking for. There we go. We made it there. It was a roundabout journey, but we made it there. Flying out of Seattle, uh, bound for San Diego, didn't make it very far because the cowling on the left engine came off.
1: Whoops. And it came off in spectacular fashion. It came off in spectacular fashion. Once they landed, it kind of tore itself to pieces and threw itself all over the runway, which is not great.
0: Not great. Flight landed safely. Everyone made it off okay and and onto their destination with not too much delay.
1: Yeah. Somebody or multiple people probably screwed up here. The investigation that maybe the NTSP will do, at least certainly Alaska is going to do one, but either uh, maintenance. Personnel earlier in the day probably maybe topped off the oil or something. It didn't quite latch the cowling down properly, and then the the first officer, maybe the the captain of the flight, doing the walk around, did not catch that it was not latched down correctly. Or or maybe it was just something else. Maybe there was fatigue on the latch or something. We will see. But most likely somebody screwed up here and didn't quite latch down the cowling correctly. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Yeah, this is not certainly not the
0: first time this has happened.
1: So Jason, yo.
0: When we talk about airlines getting off the ground, we usually discuss where their funding's coming from by way of there are major private equity backers. They were a different airline before, and now they're getting new funding. They're taking over, you know, an existing airline. Happy Airways is trying to do something different. Happy Airways is trying to startup with 2 ATR72600s based in Far Eastern France in, in Strasbourg and what they want to do is begin operations through a variety of funding sources that includes crowdfunding a lottery and they are also hoping for some public funding good old tax
1: dollars. I love public funding
0: i think it's very interesting because they're just coming out and saying like hey we need money they they say We need 5 million euros. and You can buy shares from 50 euros to 500,000 euros, including the possibility of getting a happy unlimited pass. You get to fly as much as you want across the Happy Airways Network. You can enter a lottery for two euros per ticket, and the lottery gets you a trip to either the Bahamas or a chance to win one of the happy unlimited passes. Or you can be a city and you can pay the airline to fly to you.
1: Nope. Don't do any of that. Nope. (laughs) None of that sounds like a good idea.
0: So we will see how the airline fares or how Happy Airways fares in the end.
1: Well, if you're investing in in Happy Airways, I I, I probably have some room just to squeeze you in to Baltia. They're probably still taking funding. That's a deep cut. That goes back to like episode one. Are they still taking money? No, no.
0: No, they're gone. The government got wise and, and shut them down. Ah, damn. It only took 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know, and I still want to do a full podcast episode on them at one point, I just need to collate all of the years of jokes that I've written and backfill that with actual research. But long story short, they were an airline that was going to fly a 747 from JFK to St. Petersburg, Russia. And it was going to be like this. Fantastically wonderful, well appointed 747 full service. It was the best airline. 200. 200, yeah, that ever existed. And the long story short, it, it was basically a stock scam masquerading as an airline.
1: But they actually had two airplanes. Well, yeah, they did. I well, mean, they had two and then they parted they out had one. Airframes. Yeah, they, they had, they technically they had. They were flying airplanes. airplanes. They flew one of them to an air show and then it was never seen again. Yes, it,
0: it flew once. That's correct. It was a very expensive stock scam masquerading as an airline, but that's what it was.
1: Those were the best kinds of stock scams, the expensive ones with 747s. <laughs> <sevens. laughs> I mean, I guess if
0: you're going to do it, do it all the way. Anyway. The first production 737-10 is painted in united colors that is out and we'll hopefully see more soon.
1: Hopefully they don't
0: DVD have to on it. certification. Yeah. And then two things. One, we go back to a few weeks ago when Jason had a very he was very perplexed. I was True and confounded, and we asked you, dear listeners, to give us some answers, and we received a bunch. Thank you to everyone who who sent in kind of suppositions or or not quite guesses, but at more educated than a guess, but not quite knowledge. Thankfully, someone at KLM heard the podcast and reached out to people at KLM who know
1: about these things and came back to us with an answer. So, Jason, what's the answer? It is indeed that there are simply no hotels available for crew in anywhere in or around Doha. So, they're going to operate Amsterdam to Doha and then shuttle out to DWC in Dubai where there are available slots and runway timings and all that because nobody else flies there. And that is where the crew will stay. And then they will swap out crews and then head back straight to Amsterdam. So, indeed, Doha is just so severely limited on hotel rooms. It is – easier and probably cheaper somehow for KLM to fly from Doha to outside of Dubai to put up its crew and then operate that flight back directly from Dubai. That's a couple extra cycles on the aircraft is apparently easier than finding a hotel in Doha during the World Cup. I guess I'm not surprised. No. How much extra fuel burn and cost will it be to operate those two extra unnecessary flights? or I guess one extra flight, but then a a slightly longer flight on the way back, it's got to be quite expensive. I mean,
0: it's less than the profit the airline is going to make from flying to Doha for the World Cup. So
1: They got to figure it out somehow. This is
0: it. Yeah. Let's preview next week's episode by talking about something that happened this week. Jason, you were on Twitter, for those that don't know, Jason very rarely goes on Twitter. But Jason, you were on Twitter, you were talking about the weather in New York mostly and how it was affecting airline operations there and airport operations and and mainly United. And someone reached out and said, Well, it's a tough business. And they said, I'd be happy to explain it to you. And we said Okay.
1: Yes, please do that. We know it's a, a complicated situation. There was weather in the northeast as there typically is in August. There was weather over Newark. There were FAA staffing issues which compounded everything and it was just total meltdown city at Newark, particularly for United where flights couldn't get out, so flights coming in had nowhere to go, and they were busting the tarmac rules left and right to the point where United said, "Nope, we're done," and they were diverting any flight inbound to Newark either back to where they came or elsewhere, like Dallas. So I think there was a flight from San Diego that was over like Utah already, and they they were sending it back all the way to San Diego. That's particularly bad. But we will have someone on the podcast to explain the intricacies of passenger airline dispatching and operations, to break down how they got to that point and, and basically what what happens. What does a dispatcher do operationally on disaster days like that?
0: Yeah, it'll be a really good conversation. I'm looking very much forward to it. Mike from Flying in Life will be here. He is a dispatcher for a Major U.S. Airline and will be here to fill us in on that. So if you have questions for a dispatcher wondering about certain things that you want answered, please email us, podcast at fr24.com, and we will be happy to ask. In the meantime, this has been episode 178 of AvTalk. Thank you all so very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed last week's kind of mini episode and recap of of one of our favorite conversations throughout the year so far. We're going to have a lot more great conversations throughout the rest of the year. We've got some really fun stuff coming up that we'll preview a little bit more next week. But long story short, I'm about to do something probably very stupid, but is going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about that the next payoff week. Will be rewarding. The payoff will be very rewarding. So we'll talk about all that next week. But until then, I am Ian Pechnik here as always with
1: Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening.